This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Amen. Let me um, do one thing. Oh, quick reminder, too. We have a business meeting uh, immediately following this service. I don't think it will take very long. We just, As far as I know, we've just got one uh, main issue that we need to take care of. Um, and I want to uh, give Miss Ruth Ann here a certificate of baptism and study Bible as a gift from the church. Um, and just, again, let you know it's a blessing to have you here with us. <clears throat> now, that's, that's a, yeah, amen. I'm just going to say real quick, that's a big old heavy Bible. It's a, it's a, not necessarily intended to carry around. <laughs> of course, that's entirely up to you. But, uh, it's a study Bible, so it's loaded with tons of, uh, good notes that kind of give, help give insight to the scripture. Um, so it's a, it's a good translation plus, it's a good tool as far as the, the notes go and also, um, I just want to let you know that so you don't, uh, necessarily feel obligated like to carry it around. We don't expect you to lug it around <laughs> the church and back unless you want to. But, uh, uh, it's mainly, it's mainly just a, uh, it's a, again a good translation plus a good help with all the t- tools there. Shower? All right. January. Yeah, registered at Walmart Target. Showers here, right? Two o'clock Sunday, January the second. All right. Okay. All right, if you would turn to Matthew chapter 5, we continue our study here in the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5, um, and remember what we're talking about here is uh, Christian character, characteristics are attributes, qualities, that mark the Christian, characterize the Christian. I think that's what Jesus is talking about here. He's describing um, children of the kingdom. These are the ones, as, as for example, he says in the first beatitude, these are the ones that inherit the kingdom of heaven. And so far, um, the ones we've considered... Um, the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who, th- who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So these are characteristics, again, of the Christian, or those who are citizens of the kingdom. These are those who are truly blessed, are truly happy. That's what he's describing here, the happy ones. I know that sounds like a... A funny way to put it, but that is literally what the word means that's translated blessed in the King James. The Greek word makarios means happy. Happy are the poor in spirit. 
Why? Because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They're, they're, they have, it's, again, these are paradoxes because he's talking about somebody that's poor in spirit. You have nothing spiritually. So you'd think you have nothing. Uh, that'd be a good reason for depression, right? But actually, just the opposite is true. If you, if you acknowledge your own spiritual bankruptcy, um, yours is the kingdom of heaven. That would mean that you're acknowledging that you have nothing to offer God, nothing by which to earn His favor. So you would uh, understand that uh, entering the kingdom is by His grace alone. Happy are those who mourn. Again, a paradox. Happy are those who mourn. And we talked about that being uh, uh, particularly mourning over sin. This is seen in Jesus, not because, uh, not not for the same reason we mourn. Some of the same reasons, but not entirely. Jesus is called the Man of Sorrows, and we find him weeping over the condition of Jerusalem. We find him weeping at uh, at the funeral of Lazarus, weeping because of the state of the world, because of sin, and. For us, it would include weeping over our own sin. Of course, Jesus had no sin. He mourned because of our sin. And we mourn because Christians mourn because of the sin. Same reason Jesus did, because of the state of the world, because of what sin is doing to people. But we also mourn because of our own sin. And we cry out like Paul in Romans 7, Who shall rescue me? Right? From this body of death. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? And happy are the meek. Not the weak, but the meek. Those who are uh, submitted to God's will. We, uh, as an uh, antithesis, we talked about the stiff neck. It's a term that the Lord used often in the Old Testament to describe the rebellious state of the children of Israel. They were stiff-necked. So this is the opposite of that. Meek, submitted, saddle-broke. Someone who's been brought into submission to the will of God, and uh, therefore you, you think of self uh, in a right way. So you're not so easily offended, for example. Someone says something bad about you, or someone doesn't like you, you understand, hey, they've got good reason. Because I'm a sinner. I've got a lot of problems. I've got a lot of faults. So, again, we, we uh, like Jesus, but again, for different reasons. Jesus made Himself of no reputation. Philippians 2. That's what we do. Except we don't have any reason to think we ought to have a reputation <laughs> in the first place. But He humbled Himself, emptied Himself, took on the form of a slave... Well, for us, it is the realization that we really are nothing and we are meek because of it and submitted to God's will. And they're happy because they shall inherit the land. And happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I skipped over that a moment ago. But they are promised comfort. Verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Again, another characteristic of the Christian. The Christian is poor in spirit, realizes his spiritual state. 
Bankruptcy. The Christian mourns over sin and the effects of sin. The Christian is meek. That is, he's brought into humble submission to the will of God and a life of selflessness. And the Christian hungers and thirsts for righteousness because of all the things we just mentioned. He's poor in spirit. He has indwelling sin. He uh, has no reason to have reputation. And so he hungers for all of what he lacks. Righteousness. True righteousness. So happy is he, Jesus says. This is a happy man who hungers and thirsts for righteousness because he'll be filled. And what a great promise that is. We see the, we see our own, uh, empty state, our own bankruptcy, and we have this promise. You hunger and thirst for righteousness, <laughs> you've got, you're happy because you'll be filled. You won't continue to go hungry and thirsty. And then tonight, blessed or happy are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Happy are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Now, I mentioned earlier on, these are, these are not, uh, we have to be careful how we think about these, these are not attributes or qualities that come natural for us. So we don't want to think of, uh, think of them in those terms. These are, in a sense, miraculous. They're the product of the Holy Spirit working within us. They're the product of the new birth. This is God's work in us. And I say that to say this. It's what Jesus is doing here is, is more, what He's describing is more about who we are than what we do. I mean, he's not saying, certainly, you know, for example, certainly if you're, if you're merciful, then you will uh, do acts of mercy. Yes. But His focus is more on what we are, the merciful, the poor in spirit, the mourners, the hungry, the thirsty, or the pure in heart, or the peacemakers, saying this is what Christians are. So he's describing dispositions or attitudes. That's really where the focus is more than the works. Now, it, again, it has to, it, you don't have this attitude without the works. But the works come because of the attitude. In other words, you, in, in, in light of verse 7, you do works of mercy or, or acts of mercy because you are merciful. So, so again, these aren't natural qualities. These aren't something that we can, aren't things that we can work up in order to earn. I'll come back to that in a moment. But these are spiritual qualities that God produces in the believer. Every believer. These are uh, the happy people. <laughs> the happy people. The children of God. Those that inherit the kingdom. Those who inherit the land. Those who are comforted. Those who are filled with righteousness. And those who receive mercy. They're the truly happy ones. Happy are the merciful. Again, now he's talking about an attitude here. Um, and I, th- I think this is, this is so important. Uh, let me see if I can, I can des- describe it cause, uh, in the right way cause to, to, to get across the idea of, of, uh, at- of uh, 
disposition or attitude. And we talked about this a little bit, for example, when we talked about verse 4, mourning over sin. When when you see the the state of somebody who's a slave to sin, what, what is your reaction? I mean, before you even have a chance to do anything about it, if you have a chance to do anything about it, before you even have a chance to do something, what, what is your initial response? For example, uh, to your enemies. What's your initial response to your enemies? Retribution or mercy? And Jesus is saying, happy are the merciful, those who have the attitude of mercy. Remember, I think it was in Samaritan, uh, when Jesus, in Samaria, when Jesus was preaching once, and, uh, uh, the, the, the people there did not receive him initially, and James and John said, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven on them? And remember Jesus' words, He said, um, you don't know what spirit you're of. There was, there was no attitude of mercy there for those who opposed them. Their, their attitude, their disposition was, well, let's, let's fix them, let's get even. Now, there's a, there's a lot of ways you can apply this. You know, people that you that you deal with in daily life, you have uh, maybe there's tension there, um, maybe a coworker, uh, maybe a family member. What's your what's your attitude toward them? Toward them, mercy. Do you, do you really desire the best for them? Do you really desire? That they would receive mercy, or do you look for justice, retribution? What's your attitude when you see somebody in the news? Maybe you don't know them at all, but you see them in the news and you hear about the horrible things they've done. Is is your response immediately, God have mercy on their soul? Or is the first thing that comes to mind, boy, I hope they, they get what they deserve. Um... When you, and here's fairly recent, when you read in the news about a man like Saddam Hussein being hanged for his crimes, what's what's your attitude toward that? Jesus says, happy are the merciful. Christians ought to be lovers. Well, they are. That's what Jesus is saying. True Christians are lovers of mercy because we're recipients of it. And we shall receive it, as he says here. The fact that we have received mercy, the fact that we have salvation, if we, if we uh, are true believers, if we truly have a relationship with the Lord, we know, right, that it's not based on anything we did. Why? Because we're poor in spirit. We're bankrupt. We know that it's not because of our righteousness. We mourn. The true believer mourns over indwelling sin. The true believer is meek. He's submitted to the will of God. He hungers and thirsts for true righteousness because he has none. 
So how then would you move from that to mercilessness? If you are a recipient of mercy, then you understand what a blessed state it is. And how would you not, how would you not desire it for someone else? Let's look at the flip side of that in uh, Matthew 18 for a moment. Some of you may already be thinking about this guy. Matthew 18, verse 23. It's a parable Jesus gives here about mercy. And by the way, this is in the context of uh, discipline and uh, being being uh, offended, done wrong. Um, Matthew 18, a uh, great passage on church discipline. Jesus walks through the steps. What do you do when someone offends you? Well, first you go to them and you know you try to uh, reconcile with them. If they won't hear you, then you take another witness, take a, uh, a brother uh, or sister with you, and you go to them and you make another effort. And then if they still won't repent, then Jesus says you take the matter before the church. And you tell the church. And if they still won't repent, Jesus says... Uh, you treat them like a publican sinner. That is, they are removed from fellowship. They're treated as someone who is lost rather than someone who is a brother or sister. It's in this context. Jesus is talking about being offended, being sinned against. And Peter in verse 21 says, Lord... How often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Well, that's, that's the natural question to come up, isn't it? How many times have I got to do this, Lord? Uh, if, if my brother comes and, and, and he's offended me and he wants forgiveness, how many times do I have to forgive him? And give me a number, you know, after the, what, twice? Can I nail him then? You know, can I, can I get revenge? Maybe after three times or after four times? And Jesus says in verse 22, I do not say to you seven times, that was Peter's example, up to seven times. Jesus says, I do not say to you seven times, but up to seventy times seven. Forty-nine times. And I don't think Jesus is saying, look, you forgive them forty-nine times and then you get revenge. He's just, he's just using hyperbole here. He's using a high number uh, to, to make the point. If they repent... You forgive them. Now, if they don't repent, as he's just outlined in the verses preceding this, that's, that's a different matter. But if they repent, you forgive them. So it's in that context that he says this, verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he had begun to settle Accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants 
who owed him a hundred denarii. This is just a fraction of what he owed his master. He owed him a hundred denarii, and he laid hands on him, took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. That sound familiar? The same thing he said to his master. Verse 30, And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So, when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved, came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry, delivered him to the tor- torturers until he should pay all that, he, that was due to him. So, now Jesus is speaking here, So my heavenly Father also will do to you, if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. That's a stiff warning. It's a strong warning, isn't it? To be merciful. Let me point out a couple things here concerning this idea of, of it being a, a mindset, an attitude, a disposition. First, when the first servant goes to his master begging for forgiveness, verse 27, the master of the servant was moved with compassion released him and forgave him the debt. He was moved with compassion first. So there's a uh, what Lloyd-Jones calls an, an inward sympathy that leads to outward acts. He's, he's, inwardly, he's moved with compassion. And then the outward act is he released him and forgave him the debt. That's mercy. He just, he just did it out of compassion. But... Ironically, this man who's been forgiven and released is not willing to forgive somebody else. Somebody owes him money, just again, just a relatively small amount compared to what he owed his master, and he's unwilling to forgive. So his master finds out about it, is outraged, and reverses his judgment and sends him off to the torturers. And Jesus sums it up by saying, My heavenly Father also will do to you, so my heavenly Father also will do to you, if each of you from his heart, there's the idea of attitude or disposition. This is not just merely an act. This is you acting on who you are. From his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Happier those who are merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Or they shall obtain mercy. Now, let me say this before we close. Does that mean, then, that mercy can be earned? Or we we could say it this way. Does God reward mercy... For mercy. Is Jesus saying, look, 
if you do this, you'll be forgiven. And if you don't do this, if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. Well, he does say that. What does he mean by that? That our forgiveness is merited. Kind of a tough question, isn't it? Again, look at, look at verse 25 again. In, uh, or 35, rather. In Matthew 18. So my heavenly Father also will do to you, if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. What about the Lord's Prayer? We, we pray, forgive me my debts or my trespasses. Forgive us our debts or our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Well, I think, um, like is almost always the case, if not always the case, if you, if you, when Jesus gives a parable, he's making a, a main point. And if you press the parable too hard, just like any analogy, in other words, you try to make everything fit perfectly, you usually wind up uh, in error, in some kind of false doctrine. I don't think he's saying here that you could have been forgiven, saved, in other words, you've been, your sins have been forgiven, and then you go out and you won't forgive somebody else, and so your salvation is taken away. I don't think that's what he means. I'll admit, that looks like that's what he's saying in Matthew 18.25. Uh, it even hints of that in Matthew 5, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. If you're merciful, you'll obtain mercy. But again, I think what Jesus is saying is, um, this is characteristic, that is, being merciful is characteristic of those who obtain mercy. And one reason I say that, and we don't have time to go through this, but uh, it's because uh, of the teaching of the rest of Scripture. We, we are saved by grace through faith. We don't earn anything. However, that being said... Let me go back to my question. Does God reward mercy with mercy? I would answer that with an affirmative. Yes. Yes. As long as you, you keep in mind that God grants the ability for us to be merciful in the first place. In other words, we are merciful because of the work of the Holy Spirit within us. Again, these are not natural qualities. They're produced by the Holy Spirit. Happy is the poor in spirit. Happy is the meek. Happy is the mourner. Happy is the merciful. He's describing qualities produced in us by the Holy Spirit. So, if God re rewards the Christian for being merciful, or if God rewards the Christian for anything... He's rewarding us for what the Holy Spirit has done in us. <clears throat> Let me read you a quote from a famous theologian here, Augustine of Hippo. St. Augustine, usually how people uh, refer to him, or St. Augustine, depends on, I guess, where you're from, I don't know. 
it's like tomato, tomato. Some people say Augustine, some people say Augustine. For to him, uh, well, sorry, wrong starting place. Um, God, let me start here. But thee he crowneth with pity and mercy. Now there he's quoting Psalm 103. He'll, he'll, uh, he forgives all of our iniquities, heals all of our diseases, crowns us um, with uh, pity and mercy is the way he's translating it here. These he crowneth with pity and mercy, and if thine own merits have gone before, God saith to thee, examine well thy merits, and thou shalt see that they are my gifts. So what is, what is Augustine saying? He's saying God crowns or rewards His own gifts. God crowns His own gifts. He is rewarding here what He does in us. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Work out your own salvation for fear and tr- with fear and trembling. Now there's something for us to do, right? We're commanded to do. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Another paradox. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will. That is, He gives you the will to do it. To work out your own salvation. He gives you the will to be merciful to be meek, to be a peacemaker, and to do. It's God who works in you both to will and to do. It's, it's all ability given by God. So does God reward mercy with mercy? I would say yes, but that's not the equivalent of us being rewarded for something we do. It is us being rewarded, all right. But it's us being rewarded for something the Holy Spirit does in us. For something He produces in us. But again, the main thing here, I think, what Jesus is describing all the way through is characteristics of the believer. Happy are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. So just for explanation, just just paraphrase for explanation, Those who belong to the kingdom, those who are recipients of mercy, are blessed, they're happy, and they are merciful. This is a characteristic of the believer, of every believer, because they themselves know the blessedness of receiving mercy that they don't deserve. Someone who deserves nothing. And yet is blessed with the knowledge, blessed with salvation, the knowledge of Christ. Has a hard time looking down on somebody else. Someone who's poor in spirit has a hard time looking down on somebody else. They're merciful. Because they know their own bankruptcy. 
They can't be prejudiced. They can't have a superiority complex. Because those things imply some kind of value, wealth. These people are poor, poor in spirit. They're mourners, they're meek. They hunger and thirst for righteousness, true righteousness, because they know they don't have any on their own. And therefore, they are merciful. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank You for Your Word and thank You for these precious promises. Because truly, we we have nothing of our own, nothing to offer up to You. Everything that we receive, everything good that we receive and inherit is truly by Your grace. We thank You in Jesus' name. Amen. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80. Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.